thank you so much for joining us for the final episode of season one of the Rural College Student Experience. This season has been so much more successful than I could have ever hoped for, so thank you for listening and following. We've reached over 400 downloads for this season, which is absolutely incredible. We're already planning for season two, so if you haven't already, please keep sharing in your networks and subscribe to the podcast wherever you download them so you can get updates when the new season kicks off. In this episode, we're focusing on the experiences of Native American students in college. According to the National Center for Education Statistics, Native American students make up just 19% of total college enrollment, the lowest of all racial and ethnic groups. Native American students also have the lowest six-year graduation rate at 39%. Additionally, there are 32 accredited tribal colleges and universities in the U.S., which enroll just under 9% of the Native American student population. While these statistics tell us what is happening, they really don't get at the why. In this episode, we're discussing some of those whys and how they affect Native American student enrollment. We also talk about the work that colleges and universities need to do now in order to serve these students. My co-host today is Patience Tebow, a senior at Dakota Wesleyan University in South Dakota. Patience grew up in Bloomfield, Nebraska, and is a member of the Ponca tribe of Nebraska. In our conversation, she talks about finding her people on campus and discusses how having a home community helped her feel connected to the institution. She also shares her perspective about being a Native student who did not grow up on a reservation and how her experiences differ from Native students who did. Our guest on this episode is Dr. Marley Perez. Dr. Perez is the Director of Student Success at Oregon State University eCampus and coordinates the eCampus Tribal Communities Initiative. She talks with Patience and I about how OSU is using virtual learning to expand tribal student access and enrollment, but also to strengthen the trust and relationship between the institution and the tribal communities in Oregon. Finally, this first season would not have been possible without our partners Believe in Students. We are so grateful for their partnership and support this season. If you haven't had a chance yet, please follow them on Twitter at at Believe Students. And now let's start the conversation. Patience, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Um, yeah, looking forward to the conversation we're about to have. Great, great. Me too, me too. Uh, so first, tell me about the community where you grew up and your path to college. So I grew up in a small town called Bloomfield, Nebraska. It's a very stereotypical Midwestern small town. Uh, most most of my classmates were, you know, farm kids, and that's what they wanted to do with their life was, you know, go off into the agriculture field. Um, so getting to college seemed kind of different for me because I didn't have a desire to stay in my hometown. Right. Um, and so I guess like the opportunities or like even colleges that I knew about, I didn't know about most of them because I just knew about the ones that had good agriculture programs or were good like um tech schools, I guess. Right. I understand. Yep. Yeah. So how did you, if, if a lot of other students were looking at agriculture and agriculture programs or tech schools, how did you, what was your path to getting to Dakota Wesleyan? Um, I actually saw Dakota Wesleyan at a college fair. I had never heard of it, which is kind of shocking to me because it's only a couple hours away from where I grew up. Um, but I felt like I had a difficult time deciding where to even apply because I didn't feel that any of the colleges I had known about were any that interested me. I was really wanting to go somewhere out of state and um, just like all the colleges I knew about were all like Nebraska schools or just small community colleges that I wasn't interested in. And 
the fact that I ended up at Dakota Wesleyan kind of, it still shocks me <laughs> sometimes, but right. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. Was it, was it one thing in particular that, that really drew you to Dakota Wesleyan or was it just the overall vibe? Was it a program? Um, I had initially picked up their flyer because of a major program that they had had, which I didn't even end up going into. Um, as you know, as college students tend to do, I changed my major anyway. All the time. Right. And um, ultimately, I had decided that that was the school for me because I just couldn't imagine myself telling them no. They were so, the admissions team was so invested in me and made me feel like they really wanted me there. And I had developed a relationship with some of the professors already. And I just couldn't, I couldn't tell them no. Like I got super upset when I was like, Oh, I don't think I want to go there. But I was like, I can't tell them that. So I'm going to go there now. (laughs) But it was nice because just to feel that like, I know a bigger university, probably I would have might got, you know, just been a number. And I didn't want to do that either. Cause I was so used to knowing everybody where I went to school anyway. Of course. Right. Well, and it's so interesting that you were able to leave your home community, leave your your town, but still it sounds like find another smaller community that where you felt like you weren't a number, that you were actually part of it. Um, and I think that's similar for a lot of rural students, especially ones I have talked to where they're, they talk about staying closer to home because it feels more comfortable and they can stay connected. Was the the transition to being a few hours away from home, was that a difficult transition? How did you manage that? Um, I didn't think the transition was that difficult. Um, I was super excited to not be at home. I didn't want to go home very often, not because of just my home. I just wanted to see the world kind of. Um, And I tried not to go home on the weekends, but my first semester, I would say I kind of had a tougher time just adjusting and not knowing anybody um, so I did go home a couple times, but gradually I finally um, met my people, I guess. And I just wanted to stay there with them. I didn't want to go home necessarily. <laughs> so no, that's one. I love that you met your people. I think that's so important. And for a lot of rural students, first generation students, a lot of population, it is about finding your people, finding your your community on campus that. And for any students, current or future students who are listening, that's so important is not just to be involved and join clubs and activities, but to find, like Patient said, your people on campus. I think that's so important. So I love that you were able to find that. Um, What were some of the, you know, hurdles or challenges, challenges you encountered on your path to college? And, And is there advice you would share with other, you know, future students or families of students who are looking at college? Um, I would say the biggest for me and my family when it came to like applying was really the financial obligation because um, I had to really pay attention to where I was applying to, to see if it would be feasible for me to go there, Um, which was kind of frustrating in a sense, because even if I found a school to be interested, I was interesting. I kind of was like, "Eh, well, maybe that's not a good idea or it won't work out and I don't want to get excited, Um, which is Um, And Dakota Wesleyan is a private school. So the fact that I even applied there, like I didn't want to, but my mom really encouraged me because of the scholarship opportunities that they had. And so I was really appreciative that that worked out. Dakota Wesleyan um, was able to help me um, with their scholarship programs. Uh, And even just like paying to submit the college application too, like that, it doesn't sound like a lot of money to some people, but Sometimes it makes a difference, you know, and 
um, deciding what was really worth it to apply to. So I couldn't just apply to all these colleges, which is what I thought I was going to do. But then I was like, oh, it costs money to apply. Never mind. <laughs> I don't want to go there that bad. Exactly. And I think that's something that gets overlooked. And I remember doing the same thing. I think I applied to four schools total. And it was because I think back then it was like $50 an application. That's a lot of money for, you know, you're only going to end up going to one of them potentially. And so, yeah, I think that's important. And, and again, normalizing it for other people. Like you said, for some people, it's not a lot of money, but I remember for my family, that was a lot. And even I didn't grow up in a rural community, but in a very working class part of, of the metropolitan area in St. Louis when I was in high school is where I lived. Um, and I remember my parents not wanting to pay for the practice ACT, you know, because it was they're like, well, you're going to take the ACT and not understanding kind of the the effects that that would have in terms of my preparation. And so, yeah, I think all of these things are pieces that we overlook for for students who um, aren't always the the primary driver of college decision making. Um, you know, the, your first gen, your Native American students, your rural students, they're not always the, the first thing uh, administrators and senior leaders think about. So I think it's important that we're having this conversation and bringing that up, that those are some of the challenges that can make or break a college career a lot of times. Right. Yeah. Um, but I would say, I guess what I've kind of learned um, over the past couple of years is that things get figured out. And so I wouldn't want to also like if you have your eye set on one particular school and you're not really sure how you're going to pay for it, like I would still apply and see what you can do and what opportunities you can find to make it work. Because I do think that things work out if you, you know, if you work for it and do what you can to make it work if you want it that bad, you know? So Yeah, I think that's great advice. Absolutely. So this episode, we're talking about Native American students in college. And I wanted to focus on this when I was developing the podcast. It's important because Native American communities are so often located in rural spaces. Reservation and tribal lands are so often in not just rural, but remote parts of the states where, where they exist, um, which leads to so many educational challenges for tribal populations and tribal communities. And when it comes to college, it's something I've been interested in the last few years because I don't have a lot of connection to it. I'm not Native American as a, my ancestry is not Native American, and I haven't worked directly with uh, students in a lot of ways. So I'm really curious to learn from you some of your perspectives and experiences, not speaking for every student, obviously, who identifies as Native American. But I wanted to ask you about that part of your identity, how it has or hasn't played into your college journey, um, and and what other what things you would encourage other students to be thinking about on their path to college. Yeah. So one of the things that I was super excited for college um, about college, like what excited me about it was um, a lot of bigger universities have, you know, Native American groups or multicultural groups and centers where you can, you know, be with people who are like you in a sense. Um, and so a couple of the schools I had applied to, I was, that was like the biggest pro that that school had was I knew that I could be around other Native students because I never have had that. Um, in high school, I was, you know, the only one. And so, and I didn't live on a reservation. So I just felt kind of, I was excited to be around others like me, I guess, in a sense. Um, so I think it's important to like look for different resources that universities might have for you, um, for, you know, uh, minority groups. Um, so that way you won't feel so alone, hopefully, um, if you've never really been off of the reservation or been surrounded by others. You kind of just always been by your family or people that looked like you. 
because it is a culture shock regardless of if you are Native American, you know, um, going to transitioning to college is, is scary and then doing it like around people you've never known is also scary and intimidating. Um, since Dakota Wesleyan didn't necessarily have a multicultural group that I could join, um, my identity really came into play like kind of as I um, was in the different groups that I was involved in. Like if I ever got the opportunity to do a presentation that I could teach others about my culture, then I would take opportunities to do that. Um, and the faculty and staff were always really encouraging of me or they would think of me when they were like, oh, maybe patients could speak about this. That would be great. And so uh, my identity, I guess, really helped me kind of develop my own voice and um, be confident when like speaking up or um, talking about, you know, my people. And um, while that was like really positive, it was also really frustrating sometimes because I kind of was became known as like that kid that oh she calls everybody out when they're being ignorant or she's going to talk about some sort of problem and um a lot of i could see students on their face like i would see people roll their eyes when i would start talking and um that was really frustrating sometimes but also like i wasn't going to stop because that's who i am and that is a big part of my identity and i got comfortable with you know people reacting negatively but um, it also kind of allowed me to figure out maybe what I want to do with my life and in the future. And, um, even though I wasn't around other natives, I met a lot of really great people and people that are super encouraging and they wanted to learn about me and where I come from. And, um, it's just really great to know that there are like non-natives that are interested in your culture. No, I think that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I'm so, I'm just so impressed and, and just proud of of you continuing to speak up for your beliefs speak up speak out i think that's so wonderful and uh, another area I, we try to emphasize with this podcast are the multiple identities of in rural spaces you know that rural is not all you know white people you know that there are all of these different identities race ethnicities people coming from all different countries living in rural areas and it, for a lot of higher ed administrators and faculty, and, and as a former administrator myself, we overlook that. You you equate rural and white, and that's why I think on this podcast, it's so important for rural practitioners or rural scholars to be thinking about all of those other identities that are in rural spaces to be changing that part of the conversation. And so I love that you're coming and representing that as a rural individual who's also bringing their identity to bear in the classroom and, and in conversation. I just think that's so wonderful. And I hope other students can learn from that. So you mentioned how Dakota Wesleyan uh, doesn't have uh, a Native American identity, you know, group or organization. So ha have you been able to connect with other students um, who share your background, either at your university or other universities around the country? Have you found other ways to connect with Native American students who are going through the same thing you are? I would say not really, but it's not necessarily something that I um, felt that I needed to do because I did have such a good support system. And like I, all my friends were amazing. Um, so I felt at home in other ways. Like I had um, other things that I could relate to them with. Um, but I also, I guess I did an internship one summer that was for um, Native American college students. And I did meet um, some people, them, I'm not necessarily close to them now, but it also did kind of open my eyes to just 
how how differently I grew up from a lot of other native kids, you know, kids that did grow up on the reservation and I didn't. And so it was like, I almost sometimes couldn't relate to them because I didn't know, I didn't have the same experiences they did, but um, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there that I haven't met that probably have a similar story to me. And, and hopefully I can meet some more people and, you know, we can maybe come up to us, come up with a solution to help natives get to college. <laughs> well, it's, and that's, it's way overdue. Um, I'll say that I will I- encourage and support you finding solutions because, uh, again, the the attainment rates are much, much lower than, from what I understand, every other demographic. And again, it's because of institutional and systemic barriers that have put, been put in place over you know decades and hundreds of years. Um, but I think that's great that, that you've been able to be successful, even if you don't have a community that uh, reflects that part of your identity, but you've still found, again, like you said, your people at, at your university. Um, what advice would you give to other students from tribal communities, from Native American backgrounds, as they prepare for college and as they enter college? Uh, my advice would just to be, don't let fear hold you back from the experiences that are waiting for you, because it is it is very tough to transition. Whether you're going to a small college or a big university, it's going to be tough. And like, it's a big life change. It's a big step in your life. Um, but if you are scared and you let that control the decisions you're going to make, then you're not going to, you know, make, you're not going to get everything out of the opportunity that you could. And um, I'm like a firm believer in leaving your hometown there's so much of the world to see and, you know, don't be scared to leave home because you can always go back. Uh, like just, you know, kind of, you just got to be brave and take a big step and um, the experiences that you're going to get along the way are going to be totally worth it in the end. You just got to stick it out sometimes. I, I agree. I think that's, that's great advice for sure. What, so what about you? Is your plan to return home to uh, your hometown when you graduate or are you planning to, to stay away longer? What are you thinking? I have no idea. <laughs> truthfully. That's um, a fair I'm, answer too. Yeah. Uh, I'm not like super opposed to returning home, but I would, like I said, there's still so much of the world and I want to see it. And my mom wants me to come home, but who sure, knows where naturally. I'll end up. <laughs> right. Naturally. Of course. Yeah. Parents, parents and moms especially always do. Um, are there, this is another common theme we have on this podcast is just talking about financial challenges with college, because as, as you and I touched on earlier is those expenses can make a big difference. Are there, are there things you've discovered or um, again, sort of advice you would give to current or future students around the financial aspects of college that they may not be expecting. So maybe uh, unexpected expenses, hidden charges, or just ways you found to save money or, or live more cheaply uh, as, as you go through your, your time in college? Um, I would say the biggest thing is just really utilizing um, any sort of help that is given to you, especially that is like one of the really nice things about being a native student is if you are enrolled in a tribe, you are there, your tribe probably has programs that can help you. And, um, you know, just don't be afraid to call and ask if there is any sort of program that can help you. Um, it's, you know, there's no shame in asking for help, you know, from the tribe, that's what they're there for. Um, and, you know, don't be afraid to even just talk to your business office. If you're having trouble figuring out how to pay for, whatever, you know, might be left on your bill, like speak to them, you know, I don't think they necessarily want you to leave. They want you to get educated. And um, yeah, that's really just asking for help 
whenever I needed it was the biggest thing that I could do like when I was stuck. So, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think ask questions. I say that I remember when I used to do outreach with high school students and families, I would triple underline ask questions in big, bold letters because it's something that you just can't be afraid of. You have to do it, um, you know, in order to be successful in college. So, so I, I appreciate you saying that as well. Uh, so as we wrap up, last question I have for you, because this has been such an interesting conversation, is what would you recommend to colleges and universities to better support and retain their Native American students? There's so many, so many paths I could go on that. But I would say one of the biggest things for me personally is um, we're just like every other student, you know, our identity, our cultural identity might be different, but I don't feel that. I think sometimes they get a little overly like like they really want to draw minorities to the college and so that's what they'll push and they're going to ask the other minority students to do an interview for their alumni so they can donate money and just you know we're, we're still students we're no different than everybody else that's there we just want to get an education um and so like not taking advantage of the couple of minorities you do have at your school um for good like marketing and stuff I think sometimes that can get, I don't think people do it with bad intentions, but it can just get frustrating when you're constantly being asked like, Hey, can you be the face for this campaign? Um, And also just, I don't know, maybe diversifying the staff when there's not a ton of like nobody else there really gets what you're going through. That can be tough when there's no, like somebody in a higher up role that gets it, that can be frustrating, but also that's not necessarily the university's control. Um, I don't know. I have no perfect solution, really. <laughs> well, it, uh, that's okay. I'm, I wasn't expecting one. And if again, if you come up with one, let me know because we need to solve solve some ills here. Uh, but no, I think that's that's both great. Is having people on campus that students can identify with and go to and say, you know, you have similar experiences, you have same um, background, you know, whatever it might be as me. But also not utilizing students simply as as. Uh, a smiling face in marketing materials or in in fundraising materials. I think that's so important too, is to not tokenize, but to genuinely incorporate and embrace and make included the the experience of college. I think that's that's excellent advice. Well, thank you so much, Patience. This has been such a good conversation. We're going to wrap up the first half of the episode right here. We're going to come back in just a minute with our guest. Uh, so stay with us. We will be right back. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. We are so happy to have you on the Rural College Student Experience today. Thank you. So, Marley, could you tell us what the mission or purpose of OSU's eCampus Tribal Communities Initiative is? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's an initiative that we've been really excited about, and, and I'll give you a little bit of history about it. For a long time, we had... Um, a really great university president at Oregon State University that um, had prioritized, I think, the services and support that we provided to, to Native and Indigenous students. And kind of over and over again throughout the years, he would make this call out to folks and say, hey, you know, we've got this strong e-campus that does online degrees. We need an online tribal college. So go go and start that. <laughs> and I think everybody around him was like, that's 
that's a little harder than it sounds. And the last time this came up was right as I had joined eCampus. I, I worked in different programs at OSU before that. I, I moved into my current role now at eCampus and had worked with a lot of folks across campus that were kind of engaged in this conversation. And so that last time that he kind of made that call, we said, well, why don't we dial that back and figure out how to kind of build out an initiative within eCampus and not start a whole new um, college or, or or campus, and so that's what we did. And and really, the eCampus Tribal Communities Initiative is is about prioritizing Native and Indigenous student access to online education. Um, as I mentioned, we've been offering really high quality online degree programs for a couple of decades now, and we have a really diverse set of programs across liberal arts and business and public health, sciences, engineering, kind of the whole gamut. And we know that students in Native communities often want to pursue higher education, but they also want to remain in their communities for a number of reasons, right? Whether it's to support family members, continue their work either for or with the tribes, or just kind of remain in a comfortable and supportive space. And so we don't want students to have to make that choice of, do I leave my community um, to pursue education or do I stay here and maybe forego the, the education? And so we work pretty hard to make folks aware of what they can pursue online and from a distance from OSU. So that's kind of the overarching goal. But the real work for us is um, within that initiative is connecting with students and trying to provide them a community within OSU, even though they're studying from a distance. And, and that's kind of the, the real piece of the initiative that we work towards. So I serve as the primary point of contact for our online Native students from the time that they are even just thinking about OSU and they request information from us about our online programs all the way through to graduation. Um, I work to really limit the runaround that students often have when they're navigating higher education. And so I, I personally connect with students to get them the information they need and make connections with other staff. Um, I work closely with, with two success coaches on my team who, who provide coaching. Um, but I think the biggest part of it, too, is that we collaborate really strongly with our Kagu Ikste Mana Ina House, which is our um, community, kind of like a longhouse, not quite on campus, to extend their programming and their support to students at a, dis at a distance. Um, the director there was an eCampus student herself and is really passionate about serving online students. Um, and so that, that's been helpful. So really, in a nutshell, the initiative was meant to kind of demonstrate a, a sustainable and long-term commitment to our Native Indigenous students through online education and, and provide a community for them to belong to while they're pursuing their degrees online. That's such an incredible program. Thank you for giving us an overview. It's such an incredible program. And I love in your, your overview of it that you use the word community so often, because I think that's so important for, for rural students and, and Native students as well. Patience, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Is that does that resonate with you finding that that community as something that's important both to rural students and tribal students that Marley was talking about? Yeah, I would say that is definitely something that when I was looking for college or looking at colleges, that's what I was looking for was exactly like a community, especially a tribal community that I could feel you know a part of and feel like I was still at home. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a big part. And then Marley, have you heard the, from the students, from your eCampus students, that that has has helped them acclimate and and feel connected to the the campus? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we hear a lot from students that are truly at a distance and, and we end up serving a lot of students that are just taking online courses, but the ones that we're really um, trying to support are the ones that are at a distance, not in Corvallis. And we hear from those students um, that they, some of their best experiences with online education at OSU are finding other community members in their courses. So they often try to connect with other Native and Indigenous students in their courses. Um, if there's group work, or just to kind of have conversations on the side or in, in discussion threads for others to see about the content in the course and how that relates maybe to their communities, um, to their traditional knowledge. They're, they're often seeking out faculty and staff with Native and Indigenous ties and backgrounds to kind of connect and talk through course content. And honestly, those are the experiences that they speak most highly about is when they're connecting with other community members. There, there's a lot of good stuff about online education and, and, and our courses, but, but those seem to be the experiences that are, are truly like invaluable to our students. And, and so I can absolutely see how, how that community and that belonging piece is, is important kind of wherever you are, right? Yeah, I absolutely think that's important. So I appreciate you talking about that. Um, so how have you developed relationships with tribal communities that have, you know, historically been overlooked by higher education and what successes have you encountered um, when developing those relationships? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and, and I don't, I don't want to take any credit for developing those relationships. I think a lot of folks at OSU have been really dedicated to that for a long time. Um, and, and I kind of jumped into that work more with this initiative. And so I also feel like it's, it's a good time to, to share here that I, you know, I identify as a white woman. Um, I spent a lot of time in my career working with BIPOC communities, but I'm certainly no expert on, on this. I'm really the product of that work, but also of uh, the really wonderful and, and I would say generous colleagues that I've had throughout my career who have mentored me in this work and, and taught me so much. So I'm appreciative of that. Um, I think when someone gives you their time and shares their wisdom and experiences, it's it's priceless. So I, I want I want to be really transparent about that. We've been really lucky, I think, to have faculty and staff at OSU that have had longstanding relationships. Um, with Native communities, and not always good, right? We we certainly have um, done our part to contribute to really negative experiences with higher education. That's, that's across the board, I think, um, with colleges and universities. But we we have really great staff who have helped us connect with the nine confederated Oregon tribes. And that was really what we were um, trying to start with this initiative was, was connecting here at home first and then and hoping that that would maybe grow into um, connections with tribes kind of around the country. But one of the first things that we did when we were getting ready to launch this initiative was we went to our Oregon tribal leaders and, and we asked them what they wanted to see as part of this initiative from OSU eCampus. And so we really approached it from what do you need from us? What's important? Um, rather than kind of going into it thinking we knew what, what folks needed. And Dr. Allison Davis White Eyes was really instrumental in leading those conversations for us, um, gathering feedback and, and bringing it back to our group. She's the one that really had those strong relationships. Um, a few things that I think are often overlooked by higher education. The, the first is acknowledging our history, right? Like, I don't think this happens enough, certainly more often now. 
um, but but not enough. We have to own uh, the role that our institutions have played in oppressing these communities. We have to talk about it. We have to hold ourselves accountable. We have to talk about our specific institutional history in that, right? Like OSU, um, for sure, has had moments where we didn't follow through with things and we didn't show up like we were supposed to. And so that was part of those conversations and making sure that we acknowledge that um, and that we were going to commit to doing better um, and, and really hold ourselves accountable, but also listen to our communities. I think you can't just show up and say, how do we help and, and gloss over the history? So a lot of difficult conversations, um, I think, were had leading up to this initiative. <clears throat> I think second, um, as I kind of mentioned, you have to approach it from a, a standpoint where you're tribal-centric or community-centric, right? It can't be about what the institution wants or thinks it should do to serve Native communities. It really needs to be about what those communities and tribes and leaders want and need from the institution. And part of that is establishing a feedback loop. And I think a lot of folks don't do that maybe when they start these initiatives. We we wanted to intentionally engage our tribal partners regularly and hold a space for authentic concerns and feedback um, and, and really make sure that we were we were listening. Um, and then finally, and, and personally, because it's it's my jam. Um, focusing on that belonging, right, and, and community building, which I think has gotten a lot more buzz over the last few years, but that's something that's been missing in higher ed when, when you're talking about, especially working with online students, but, but certainly with students from um, all kinds of different backgrounds. And I, I do believe that fostering a sense of community and belonging should be really central to the work that's, that's being done with Native and Indigenous communities. Um, we've had a lot of success, I think, in reaching students through this initiative. While we intended to really strengthen our relationships with Oregon tribal members over the last few years since we've launched, we've engaged more than a thousand students from all over the country who have showed an interest in pursuing their education online at OSU. And we're talking about students at all levels. So um, those who want to come in as non-degree students and just take some classes and some sequences, bachelor's degree seekers, and master's and doctorate, seeker, uh, doctorate degree seekers as well. And I think, um, you know, that's that's exciting, but I think probably our biggest success so far is, is just the connection that's available to the campus community through Ina House. And that's entirely, again, because of the work of others. Dr. Luhui White Bear and, and her team of students there have um, done an excellent job leading that center and really demonstrating kind of their unwavering uh, support and, and truly authentic com commitment to students, even our distance students and online students. And that's gone a long way, I think, with creating a, a positive student experience for a Native student studying online that allows them to kind of tell that story back to others and to prospective students and kind of share what it's like to be an, an online student at OSU. So I think those are kind of our big successes probably with the initiative um, that, that we're pretty proud of. Absolutely. And and you should be proud of it. I mean, that's all so wonderful to hear about. And I appreciate you use the word authentic relationships at the end. And I appreciate that because I think that that's so important. And so often it is really sort of that lip service of we want you to come to our school, but we're not going to change anything about our systems, our our policies, our processes. And it sounds like OSUE campuses is going the alternate route. They're saying, no, no, actually inform us because that's what's missing. Right. You, you know, you intentionally went out, asked for guidance, information, feedback um, before designing and developing this initiative. And I think it's usually the reverse. It's flipped for most things is we want to better support our first gen students. And then things are just sort of stood up and implemented without asking for the student feedback. And I think it's wonderful and integral to any of my colleagues, faculty, staff at universities and colleges who are listening 
to really put the students first and ask them before investing any time in anything. So I really appreciate you talking about all of that. Yeah, absolutely. I want to ask um, sort of off topic. So we're pivoting a little bit, but you're you're talking about serving tribal and rural in rural spaces in remote spaces um, with e-learning. Right. So what has been the uh, prevalence of broadband issues since for rural students, that's one of the biggest things the the pandemic certainly uncovered that. But how are students connecting to broadband reliably so that they can be successful in their classes? Yeah, that's that's a huge challenge, right? And it's one that's often talked about um, in online learning just in general, like you mentioned, from the rural perspective, from the native indigenous indigenous perspective. Um, it's it's a big challenge and it's it's huge for students who want to remain in their communities and pursue online education. Um, you know, we have students that are accessing their courses on their phones from a gas station, right? Wherever they can get Wi-Fi, they're going to public libraries. Um, they're, they're doing absolutely what they can to connect to the um, internet any way they can, but it's certainly something on our radar. So we're actually getting ready to launch a pilot um, with a telecom vendor that would offer more stable broadband access to our students. And so um, that's hopefully going to launch here in about January. We've got a pilot group of students that we'll be reaching out to and offering free um, wireless internet for about six months to really test how well their services are working in some of these rural and, and tribal communities um, and just see how much that helps our students kind of access their uh, course work um, and just be successful. And so that's something we're, we're getting ready to launch. I'm really hopeful that it leads to a more robust program to help with that issue. Um, I know folks, you know, nationally are working on this at a much larger scale. This is kind of our band-aid, if you will, to just get students access they need while some of those bigger, bigger things are, are happening. Yeah, I think those are challenges that probably a lot of institutions are, are encountering trying to figure out how to serve this population through every means and every medium possible. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Thank you. Um, so what are the biggest challenges that Native students face on their path to and through college? And what can institutions do to better support those students? Wow, that's that's a big question. And um, it's it's hard for me to answer, right? Because I'm, I'm not Native. I'm not currently a student. So I think I can um, I can kind of give some observations, but then I'm, I'm actually curious patients to hear what, what you say to this question, right? Like what are some of the challenges that, that you've seen for students as well? Um, I think one of the biggest ones that, that I hear about, and this is not only in my work in online education, but in my, my previous work, um, working with underrepresented students in STEM, one of the biggest things that I've heard kind of this entire time is there's just often a lack of um, native faculty in, in higher education, right? And it's hard when you're trying to pursue and achieve your dreams and you're not seeing people around you that you identify with that are doing that same thing. And, and that was that was really strong and present when I was working with STEM students, for sure. <clears throat> but it's, it's continued. And then I think by working in online education, kind of the addition to that that I've seen is also the lack of inclusion of Native history and knowledge in curriculum, right? Like I'm a lot more ingrained in how do we develop courses and, and how do we educate our instructors and our faculty? And, and that's something that's kind of um, risen to the surface in terms of what I've seen, but also student feedback. And so it's, it's this lack of Native faculty 
in higher ed, but also the inclusion of real and true indigenous history and, and knowledge and curriculum. And again, I'm I'm not an expert in in any of that. I have a, a lot to learn um, there, but but we hear from students again that a lot of their most meaningful experiences are connecting with other native students and native faculty in their courses. Um, or or taking courses specifically with native faculty outside of their discipline just to make some of those those connections. Um, you know, we we want to see students, um, sorry, let me rephrase that. We want students to see themselves and their histories represented in our virtual classrooms. And, and a lot of that comes from our intention of really wanting students to feel like they belong there. Um, sometimes online education can feel more inclusive because you are kind of behind a keyboard. And, and a lot of times folks feel more comfortable voicing their, their opinions and their beliefs behind a keyboard. But that also can lead to really detrimental experiences for students from marginalized backgrounds. Um, and so I think the more that we work to include that knowledge, that history, um, those all of those things in our curriculum, um, the better, right? And that's something, that's a challenge we need to address just broadly in, in higher education. The way that we think about this at OSU eCampus comes all the way down to the animations and the drawings that our multimedia team does when they're helping to develop an online course, right? We really have folks that are conscious of, you know, the people that they're drawing and the animations and the voices that they're using um, as they add multimedia to courses to make sure that, that our diverse student population is is seeing themselves and connecting. Um, we also offer a lot of workshops on inclusive online teaching. And what does that mean in an online space, especially for folks who just aren't um, used to that? And so we're, we're trying to prioritize um, what our institution has kind of uh, dubbed as inclusive excellence in our online courses. So I think that's that's something, you know, it's a big challenge and, and we're working on I think in the end, too, the, the the best thing that students can or that institutions can really do to support their students is ask and, and really listen. And I know that's a theme here today, right, is, is just like asking the questions, sitting there, listening, taking that information in and, and, and really processing it and doing something with it. I think every institution's version of a tribal communities initiative is going to be different, right? It, it depends on what their students and communities need. It depends on what the institution's strengths are. Um, those are important, I think, to figuring out how to best support your Native and Indigenous students. I mean, that, that's that's the reality. I think ours has taken shape really well, and it's, it's worked really well for us. It's going to evolve as we kind of navigate all of these things that, are, um, that our nation and our local area is dealing with. Um, but But really, it comes down to just making sure we're doing what we need to do for the people that we're serving. But again, I'm I'm curious, patients. I mean, um, what your your thoughts and your perspective are in terms of kind of challenges and navigating higher education and and what institutions can do to to support students in that space. Yeah, so um, definitely something that I had mentioned to Matt earlier was um, you know diversifying diversifying the faculty and um, you know providing somebody that Native students can relate to. Um, because personally, I have never in my you know whole education career had a Native American faculty or a teacher or anything. Um, I've even taken I took Native American history um, while in college, and it was taught by a white professor. And um, thankfully, he was very um, very aware of what he was saying and how he taught it. And so I was really appreciative 
you know, he was very thoughtful and he even encouraged me to tell him if, you know, he was saying something that was offensive or inappropriate. And um, so I really lucked out in the college that I went to. And I think it's great when professors are very, um, like you said, inclusive of their students and, you know, encouraging that feedback is great. And, you know, making sure that the native students, they feel safe when they bring up these concerns, because, you know, sometimes they can just get, you know, negative reactions and that's not fair because they're, you know, they're at school to just to get a positive experience and they want to learn too. And they should be able to do that while feeling safe. So I think that's really great that OSU is focusing on that. Thank you so much, Patience and, and Marley for your thoughts on that. And I, I really like that both of you talked about, we've talked so much about community today, but also Marley, you talked about that sense of belonging and Patience, you said feeling safe. And I think for anyone listening, that's what students need. They need to have that community, that feeling of safety and the feeling that they belong. And, and I think every college and university should be trying to do that for their students. So yeah, I just really, really appreciate it. And unfortunately, I'm going to wrap us up and end on that note, because uh, it's such a great and informative way to end the, the episode. But unfortunately, we've got to wrap up. Thank you so much, Marley, for joining us today. It was so great. Thank you for the work you're doing for your tribal students in, in Oregon and across the country, it sounds like. So thank you so much for joining us and for the work that you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was this was great and what a fun experience. I love the work that you guys are doing. So thank you. And and, and thank you, Patience, for being an amazing co-host on this episode. I appreciate your your honesty, your your genuine uh, uh, uh genuineness. I can't think of the right word for, for being here, but I really appreciate it and thank you for being my co-host. Yeah, it was really, you know, an honor. Um and I just want to say real quick, Marley, that um uh, as a native student myself, it is very refreshing to, you know, see other non-natives working to be inclusive of, you know, other minorities. And so I just, it makes me happy and um, feel, I feel that we as a society are going in the right step because we have people like you. So thank you. Wow. I, I don't even know what to say to that. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I, I, I had the pleasure of working with amazing students, I think my entire career. And, and as I mentioned, staff. So it's something I enjoy doing and I hope to keep doing it. Well, thank you both for for the work you're doing for for students now and for future students. I really appreciate it. Well, that wraps up season one of the Rural College Student Experience. Thank you for everyone who has listened. Thank you for retweeting and sharing in your networks. We've had this this podcast has been more successful in season one than I could have ever imagined. I want to thank you, uh, say a huge thank you to our partners, Believe in Students. They have been so excellent and supportive of this podcast. It, it wouldn't have been successful without them. So thank you to Believe in Students. Uh, finally, please follow us again on Twitter at RCSEPod. Email any questions you have or comments to RCSEPod at gmail.com. We will be back for season two very soon. So keep looking for updates. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, everyone, for listening and supporting us and have a wonderful day.